Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Well, good morning. Our first story this morning is entitled, The Best Christmas Ever by Orlanda R. Brugnella. It was December. I was in a new school and a new place, and there were new teachers and new classmates. And we were living in a new house, too. Also, there was no snow in Florida. December used to be a good month. It used to have Christmas in it, but not this year. Mama had told me there'd be no Christmas this year. She never said we didn't have enough money, but I noticed there wasn't much food in the house. Lunch was one slice of bread with a thin slice of mystery meat. Mama didn't eat anything that I could see, maybe a piece of fruit here and there. No Christmas. Now, Mama loved Christmas, or maybe you could say she loved Christmas trees. They were a big deal. She would make me go to bed early, then she would stay up all night long decorating the tree. It was always a big tree, all the way up to the ceiling. She had all the decorations in boxes. Some of them were huge glass balls, all silvery and gold. When I came in on Christmas morning, it was so beautiful. But this time, there wasn't going to be Christmas. No tree, no decorations, no lights, no presents. Mama was going to be very upset. Me too. I thought and thought, but I couldn't come up with any idea on what to do. And then, the week before Christmas, a small tree showed up in my homeroom at school. We had it for the week before our school break. Mrs. Clark baked cookies for us to have in our homeroom before classes began. She said they would give us energy to study. I didn't know if they did, but sometimes I ate too. Well, on the last day before the break, I got an idea. Maybe, maybe it was those cookies that helped with this idea, but I waited until everyone went to class, and I asked Mrs. Clark what was going to happen to the tree over the break. Oh, well, well, we'll throw it out so we won't get pine needles all over the floor. She turned away, but I, I didn't leave. Um, Mrs. Clark, I said, could I have the tree at the end of the day? She was very surprised and could see that I didn't know what to say. Please, I added. All right, yes, you can have it. Just come here right after your last class. Well, at 3.02 sharp, I was there back in homeroom to collect that tree. Mrs. Clark had taken off all the tinsel and the few decorations. The tree was lying across her desk. I picked it up in my arms. It was very scratchy. Thank you so much, I said. Now what, I thought, how, how am I going to get this home? And then it came to me. I could put it across the handlebars of my bicycle and tie it on with the straps of my book bag. It took a couple of tries to get it balanced, but, and you know, it wasn't too easy to steer. But besides, 
there was that dog that always chased me every morning on the way to school. And if I didn't paddle fast enough, he would bite the hem of my skirt. When I got to the the block with the dog, I put my head down and pedaled faster than I had ever had before. I made it, but by the time I got home, I was really out of breath. And then I had another problem. I wanted to surprise Mama. That meant I had to hide the tree for a day, and I knew I couldn't hide it in the house. I put it exactly behind the trunk of one of the mango trees in the backyard, where my mom, I knew, couldn't see it. Well, Mama was pretty upset on on Christmas Eve. She didn't eat. She didn't talk. Papa told her to go to bed early. She did. I told him I had a plan. He was surprised. I have to bring the tree in, I said. Tree, he said. Well, we went out in the back, and sure enough, the tree was waiting there. We brushed off the ants, and we brought it inside. I found a pail and put some water in it and stood the tree up in the pail. It looked a little funny because the tree was so small, nowhere near the ones of our past that went to the ceiling. But I couldn't be bothered with that. I had work to do. Do we have tinfoil, I asked my father. Sure, he said. And he brought it out for me. Started tearing it into small squares and with the shiny side up. I wadded them up into little balls and I started putting them on the tree, squeezing them so that they would stay on the tree branches. When I was done, I went to get my hair ribbons and used those on the tree as well. And it was looking like a Christmas tree. Well, at least a little like a Christmas tree. Well, the next morning, Mama was sleeping in. I went in and woke her up. Mama, Mama, you got to come right now. She looked at me with her sleepy eyes. Come on, I said. She got up and led me, uh, lead her into the, into the living room where the tree was waiting for her. I brought Christmas. Her eyes started to fill up, and I thought she was upset. Mama, I'm sorry. I was just trying to help. She turned around, and she said to me, You sure did bring Christmas. This is the best one ever. And she hugged me for what felt like forever. And with that, let us light our fourth candle of Advent for the fourth week of Advent, symbolizing love. I have always been enchanted by Christmas. As a Jewish child, though, it was tinged with a kind of yearning, a separateness, like pressing your your face up to the glass to peek in on someone else's magic. My dad and I would drive around our suburban neighborhood in late December to look at the Christmas lights, ooing and aahing through the windows of our minivan. He liked the bright colors and creative designs. I liked the classic whites with evergreens and candles in the window. While I loved our own kind of lights, the Hanukkah lights that we kindled in our own home, I always did feel a sense of sadness coming back to our very ordinary, unfestive house. The understanding I got was the Christmas lights could be enjoyed, but they were for other people. And I loved Christmas movies. In particular, the 1987 Muppet Family Christmas Special. It's the best. Far into my teenage years, I would beg my dad to pull out the VHS cassette taped from TV 
he'd oblige, and the opening scene would fill me with such joy. A snowy road and Fozzie driving a pickup truck full of his Muppet friends to spend Christmas at his mother's farmhouse. At the first few notes of the opening number, I would gleefully sing along, Haul out the holly, we're headed home so we can start to celebrate. It's the best. I would watch this year after year, not just because I love the Muppets, and I do, or because it's wholesome and hilarious, and it is, and it's all up on YouTube, I recommend it. But because there is something heart-achingly beautiful about a family, a chosen family, coming together to celebrate at Christmas. And here it was again, that yearning for warmth and wonder and connection. Fast forward to my first Christmas Eve here at Arlington Street Church in 2010. I came to the service with reverence and for, with curiosity about other people's traditions, not unlike an anthropologist coming to observe. But what I found was welcome. A welcome to be my full, completely Jewish self and still join in the majesty and wonder of the season. Year after year, I felt more and more a part of it all, as integral to the celebration as every other person who gathers to celebrate. What I received over time was this lesson and this invitation. Don't separate yourself from anything that brings you closer to wonder, closer to gratitude, closer to each other. If lights amid the winter darkness fills your soul with joy, string up the brightest set of lights. This year, thanks to Free Cycle and thrift stores, I have my first Christmas tree and wreath, complete with classic white lights. Sitting in their soft glow with my beloved roommate, I'm grateful for this simple thing that is both so cozy and so beautiful. If you yearn for a sweet gathering of loved ones to celebrate with, start a new tradition or join one. One of the best gifts of this church community was being welcomed into a group of friends that had all met here through the Arlington Street Young Adult Community more than 10 years ago. And get this, the first year that I celebrated Christmas, I stumbled into their annual tradition, gathering together to watch none other than the 1987 Muppet Family Christmas special. <laughs> No one I knew had even heard of it, and here they all were. This was their sweet young adult group tradition every year, continuing to this day. This year, as I looked around at their dear faces and saw the glow of the lights and the TV screen on their faces, as together we sang along and laughed at the same old jokes, I realized this is family. My friends, in a time where it might feel like we've grown a little colder, maybe grown a little sadder, 
We need more wonder, more beauty, more welcome, more experiences of family. And this is the beauty of Unitarian Universalism. It is big enough to allow us to get inspiration from so many sources and connection with each other. As this year comes to a close and a fresh new one awaits us, I ask, what would bring you more wonder, more beauty, more connection? Whatever it is, may you find it and welcome it in, in enchantment. So may it be. One December night, some 30 years ago, my parents buckled me and my little sister into the back seat of the car. Our holiday visit with our grandparents had been full of good cheer. Now it was time to head home. Mile by mile, we sped through the Ohio countryside. Sleepily and with wonder, I looked out the window. The landscape blurred past, too fast, too dark to be able to make it out. But looking up, the sky was clear. I spotted Orion's belt, those three stars that I knew as a small child. And there was the moon, and the moon gazed down, smiling gently over our little car. I drifted off to sleep feeling safe and warm. A couple hours later, I looked up again. Orion's belt was gone now. There were some other stars. I didn't know what they were. How did the stars change like that? How? And yet, there was the moon. There was that same moon smiling down. Another hour later, almost home, the moon was still there. It was as if she had been watching over us, lighting our path and guiding us home. In 2009, when my partner Katie Tyson died, my grief was sometimes very raw. Some of you remember Katie, some of you remember that time. She was much beloved here, part of our church community and our young adult group. And I found such solace in this community, and my hope for you is that anytime your heart is grieving, you find solace here too. But friends, sometimes grief finds us when we are alone, and there was one night in particular where grief hit me hard. I had been visiting with a friend and had gotten into my car and found myself unable to drive home. I sobbed, I cried and cried until I felt cleansed. And then I lifted my head off my hands and I looked out the windshield. Straight ahead was the tree line, pines silhouetted against the night sky. And suddenly, 
right above that tree line streaked the longest, slowest, lowest, clearest, brightest, everythingest shooting star I have ever seen. It stretched across my view, perfectly framed by the windshield, just right there, just when I looked up, just when I needed it. Its tail was big as a kite. That star felt like a message, reassurance, something leading me on and calling me forward and letting me know that this too would pass, that it would be okay. Sometimes I wonder about that star. Was it Katie? That's a mystery, and I like that hallelujah. And I invite us all to live into that mystery together. I don't know who or what was in that star, but I know it was a comfort. I still feel comforted when I look up at the night sky. I look up and I feel so tiny compared to that big universe out there, and yet I also somehow feel right-sized. I know that I have a place in this great mystery of it all. I know that we are all connected throughout all these miles and all of this time. And I feel led onwards to the light, by the light that shines up there. Friends, in this winter season, there is so much night. And also, there is so much light. If your heart is heavy this Christmas time, I wish for you a shooting star. May you have comfort and peace. May you know that you are not alone. May you know that you are held by a great and fierce love. And I wish for all of us that sense of wonder when we gaze up at the moon and the stars. May we see the moon's gentle face shining down and guiding us home. May we be open to that grandeur, to the mystery and wonder, open to the magic of that silvery shine. And may we follow its lead to a place of goodness and light. Amen. I sometimes wonder how I ended up here. When people ask about my religious background, I sometimes say I grew up ambiguously Christian. I knew stories about Jesus and we celebrated Christmas, but my family didn't go to church except on rare occasions where my dad would tell me the only part of this he actually liked was the music. Also pointing out that he wasn't going to sing the word virgin in the hymns <laughs> because there wasn't anything wrong with sex. I was probably eight years old at this point. By the time I went to college, I figured I had my own take on this whole religion thing. Sometimes I would go to church on my own, often around Christmas, or I would be in a service performing as a musician. And when the minister spoke, I would translate what they said. So what you're saying is this, which I definitely don't believe. Uh, but what you mean is this, which is really great. Anybody else ever do that? Yeah, 
And then one day, I found myself in a Unitarian Universalist church. How did that happen? Well, that's maybe the real miracle. It was the year 2000, and I was a sophomore at the University of Michigan, and a friend of a friend invited me to go to church with him. Why? I don't remember. Maybe they were having Bring a Friend Sunday. Maybe he had a sense that I had that perfect mix of agnostic, intellectual, liberal, religious curiosity. Or maybe it was just dumb luck. But I went to church. The minister, Kenneth Pfeiffer, was an atheist. I didn't know that was possible. I think they opened with a reading of a Mary Oliver poem. I didn't know who she was at the time. Huh, I thought, no translation necessary. Then the minister gave a sermon on sexuality. He talked about the whole range of human desires and needs, including a section on BDSM. I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) And he called to task the clergy who had abused their power to take advantage of others, including ministers of his own faith. I didn't know you could do that. Well, I started attending. And a few years later, when I moved to Boston for my master's in conducting, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if there's any Unitarian Universalist churches in this city. (laughs) Somehow, I was lucky enough to land right here and find a place within this community. Fast forward to today, and so much of my life over the past decade has become wrapped up in this wild faith, this precious community of ours. Many of my closest friends were made right here, many of them in the Arlington Street Church young adult group that both Joe and Liz mentioned. Spoiler alert, most of them became ministers. (laughs) My time here has fostered my musical creativity, leading me to compose countless pieces for choir, including setting our seven principles of Unitarian Universalism in the music, and it's led me to share music and fellowship with thousands all over the country uh, and the world, from General Assembly to Unitarian musical pilgrimages with our sister congregations in Romania, Hungary, and India. Most importantly, this faith and this community has given my life a tremendous amount of purpose, substance, and meaning. And all because one day, Someone I barely knew invited me to go to church with them. It's a miracle, really. Has anyone else here had their life profoundly changed, maybe even saved by this faith, this wild, radical, and precious community of ours? I know. And yet, how many of us invited a person here to church with us today? So, this is my invitation for us, that we brave that fear and awkwardness to offer a simple invitation to sharing something that can quite literally be life-saving. Do you want to go to church with me? Children, go where I send thee. 
is a song from the African-American spiritual tradition. It's a call and response song. It's a cumulative song, and it's a Christmas song. Please rise in body or in spirit and join me in Children Go Where I Send Thee. So the call and response part is I sing, children go where I send thee, and you sing back at me, how shall I send thee, like this. Children go where I send thee, how shall I send thee? Let's try that again. Children go where I send thee, how shall I send thee? And then I'm going to send thee one by one, and then it, it's cumulative. It's two by two and three by three, and each time... I'll add a verse, and you will sing it back together, back to, back to one. One for the itty-bitty baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. So it's, it's uh, structurally, it's kind of like uh, the 12 days of Christmas, but much less annoying. And the other part we're going to sing again and again is uh, born, born, born in Bethlehem. Born, born, born in Bethlehem. Try it. Who was born, born? Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee one by one, one for the little bitty. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee two by two, two for Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee, how shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee three by three, three for the Hebrew children, two for Paul, Silas, one for the little baby. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee, how shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee four by four, four for the poor who stood at the door, three for the Hebrew children, two for Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee, how shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee five by five, five for the five who stayed alive, four for the four who stood at the door, three for the Hebrew children, two for Paul and Silas, one for the little baby. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm going to send thee six by six. Six for the six who never got fixed. Five for the five who stayed alive. Four for the four who stood at the door. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for Paul and Silas, one for the little baby. Baby was born, born. send thee how shall i send thee i'm gonna send thee seven by seven seven for the heaven who went up to heaven six for the six who never got fixed five for the five who stayed alive four for the four who stood at the door three for the hebrew children two for paul and silas one for the little baby baby was born 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 in bethlehem children go where i send thee how shall i send thee I'm going to send thee eight by eight, eight for the eight who stood at the gate, seven for the seven who went up to heaven, six for the six who never got fixed, five for the five who stayed alive, four for the four who stood at the door, three for the Hebrew children, two for Paul and 
Silas one for the little baby. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children know where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm gonna send thee eight by eight. Eight for the eight who stood at the gate. Seven for the seven who went up to heaven. Six for the six who never got fixed. Five for the five who stayed alive. Four for the four who stood at the door. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for Paul. Silas, one for the little baby. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm gonna send thee nine by nine. Nine for the nine who dressed so fine. Eight for the eight who stood at the gate. Seven for the seven who went up to heaven. Six for the six who never got fixed. Five for the five who stayed alive. Four for the four who stood at the door. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for Paul and Silas. One for the little baby. Baby was born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm gonna send thee ten by ten, ten for the ten commandments, nine for the nine who dressed so fine, eight for the eight who stood at the gate, seven for the seven who sent up to heaven, six for the six who never got fixed, five for the five who stayed alive, four for the four who stood at the door, three for the evil children, two for Paul, Silas, one for the baby was born. Beautiful singing. Thank you. <laughs> Fred, you were Peter, Paul, and Mary all in one person. <laughs> so technically, a miracle requires suspension of the laws of chance or physics. But I'd say I've known some miracles in my time. And the stories of transformation affected by seemingly random encounters are some of my favorites. Here's one for you. Early in Dr. Rachel Naomi Raymond's career, one of her patients, a child, died right before Christmas. In his honor and to remember him, she bought an angel ornament. And from then on, each year, she added an angel to her ornament collection, angels made of china, of straw, of tin, angels of wood and glass, hand-painted angels and hand-sewn angels, angels from all over the world. As the holidays begin, she takes them out of their boxes and hangs them throughout her home, and she says, lives among them until the new year. Just after Thanksgiving, she says, I begin to look for a new ornament, leafing through catalogs, going from store to store, seeing dozens of angels until I find just the right one. It is a labor of love and of remembering. Small as this ritual seems over the years, it has become important to me. Christmas 1993 was the exception, caught up in an intense round of lectures and workshops for professionals who wished to serve people at the end of life. I had not bought a single Christmas present or even a single card, let alone a special ornament.
As the spirit of the season swirled around me, I became more and more isolated from it. My sadness focused on the angels, still packed away in their boxes. About a week before Christmas, I was preparing to fly across the country yet again, this time to give a talk to a thousand hospice professionals on the East Coast. I was planning to write on the flight, not having found the time to do it any earlier. Drowning in self-pity, I thought of my unsent cards, my unbought gifts, and my missing angel. Shortly before takeoff, a very young blonde woman came down the aisle in the full dress uniform of a naval officer, cap, blue trench coat, briefcase. And when she reached me, she smiled radiantly and indicated the window seat. Silently, I stood to allow her to pass. Shortly afterwards, the plane took off. I pulled out the materials from my talk, placed them on the empty seat between us, and began to write. And for the next five hours, I wrote nonstop about death and its power to transform our lives. My seatmate, to whom I had not said a word, seemed equally content on her own reading. When the captain informed us that we would be landing in 20 minutes and advised us to raise our tray tables and seat backs, I sighed and put everything away. The talk was almost finished. Turning toward me, my seatmate spoke for the first time. Excuse me, ma'am, she began hesitantly, but I feel called to speak to you. Seeing the look on my face, <laughs> she apologized quickly, but pressed on. She told me about her recent difficulties and loss of direction, and that she had been in San Francisco seeking wisdom and support from her grandmother. The young woman smiled at me warmly. I feel that things are hard for you, too. My grandmother gave me something to help me, and I'd like you to have it. And reaching into her navy blue attache case, she pulled out one of the most beautiful angel ornaments I have ever seen and gave it to me. Beloved spiritual companions, the mystery at the heart of life speaks through unlikely people at unlikely times. At this time of year where the mere presence of light in the darkness feels like a miracle, may we watch for coincidences, small and large. Watch for miracles. May we find in them deep reassurance, comfort, and joy. Let every heart prepare. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, 
ASCBoston.org.